Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and I'm co-hosting today, and uh, happy Monday. <laughs> In studio with me is our senior pastor, Scott Richards. Hello, hey, everybody. Sir. How's it going? Uh, yeah, we're doing good, aren't we? Yeah. We're like in the eye of the storm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In a real sense, I guess we are. Mm. Uh, a lot of uh, interesting things going on these days, but uh, we'll explore that one question of the heart at a time. That's what we do here. That's right. Yeah. yeah. This is a reason for hope. We uh, do a daily, uh, it used to be a call-in, but a question and answers program where people can uh, join us on our live stream and use the comment sections of the various social media platforms that we live stream to. And you can uh, ask a question about the Bible, about the Christian faith. Um, and uh, we will attempt to answer those questions. You can, uh, of course, join us in multiple ways. You can go to our Facebook page, and I'll put the link there on the screen. Just go to Facebook and look for um, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. That's the church that we are live streaming from here in our <clears throat> on-campus studio. You can also uh, join us on uh, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel where we simultaneously live stream too. So if you go to YouTube and just search for A Reason for Hope, you can go there as well. And if you are one of those folks that just likes to avoid social media altogether, you can go to our website. That's CalvaryChristianFellowship.com. And then if you go to the little tab that shows the Watch Live, not only can you watch this program every weekday, 5 to 6 p.m., but you can also catch our services we have a Wednesday evening Oasis service. We're currently going through the book of Ezekiel. And on Sunday mornings, we have services at 8 o'clock. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. And uh, we are currently going through the book of Acts. So we teach book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so if you want to go to our website and go into our archives, or uh, you can also download our app, uh, you can go through a book of the Bible, which is pretty, pretty exciting in, in my opinion to be able to study the Word of God verse by verse and actually get almost a pastoral commentary, uh, an application to your life of a specific part of Scripture. Now, if you would like to uh, stay in touch with our community, you can do so by downloading our app. We have a really cool little app, so just go to the Apple or Google Play Store and look uh, for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you'll see that little icon with the dove on it. You can download our app, which has a, a calendar of events, a nifty little digital Bible where you can leave notes, um, uh, highlight text, start chat groups. You can watch live streams, uh, so much more. So I'd encourage you to download that if you haven't. We also live stream simultaneously all of our services and this program, A Reason for Hope, to all the Amazon and Roku products. So if you have a Roku device or an Amazon uh, smart device, <clears throat> go to those and you can add us as a channel and watch our services. I'd encourage you to do that. And lastly, if you want to ask a question a little more discreetly, you can just email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all letters, no numbers, at gmail.com. And last but not least, uh, I encourage you to follow our senior pastor, Scott Richards, on X, formerly Twitter. X, as, <laughs> as I go into my Sean Connery there. <laughs> I don't know why that just screams for a Sean Connery accent, but it does, doesn't it? Just that X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I go to Slipped Twitter. Slipped on some tea. <laughs> or I should say, yeah, X. And, uh, uh, our pastor's uh, handle Sorry. is at Scott, <laughs> at Scott R48. You don't have to apologize. This is a, uh, a professional but pretty chill program. <laughs> yeah, professional remains to be seen, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, so that professional Twitter, what? <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that Twitter handle's at Scott 
R4H. And you can check that out as well. Uh, before we take any questions from your audience, if you're watching right now, type them in because we're going to go straight to the questions. If, if we don't have any questions, sometimes we have some oldies but goodies that we have like an archive of that people have sent in over the years. And so we'll get to one of those. But if you uh, want to ask, ask a question about the Bible, about an application, about an interpretation, then please chime in right now. Um, before we look at those, we'll take a moment to pray. Ask the Lord to be with us. Yeah, let's do that. Father, I thank you for your presence here today. What a, an amazing thing it is that we get to explore your word together. We pray that you would uh, anoint uh, Adrian and I with the power of your spirit, not just to uh, answer questions, but uh, maybe even perceive the question underneath the question, to really get to the matters of the heart that you want to explore. Thank you for this privilege of being in your word during this time. We ask that you would guide and direct the conversation and that uh, we would walk away uh, edified, built up in our knowledge of you, exhorted, uh, given the tools to be able to apply your word uh, more practically and personally within our life, and comforted, uh, knowing that it's the power of your Holy Spirit that accomplishes all these things and more. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Now, yeah. we have a question in. This is a good question, uh, something that I've spent a lot of time pondering over the years, because as an itinerant speaker and entertainer, I've visited so many different denominations, different forms of church government. So Eli on our website stream wanted to know, does the Bible teach that there should be a plurality of elders? Well, you know, Eli, that is an excellent question. Uh, you know, what we do see in the Word of God is, in a sense, a uh, twofold picture of leadership. Should there be a plurality of elders? Well, uh, you know, I think we can go right to uh, the primary document. In the book of Titus, Paul gives uh, Titus uh, having the opportunity to uh, be able to uh, follow through and establish uh, churches in Crete. If you've been with us in our study of the book of Acts, uh, we see that the first site of the first missionary journey was uh, uh, Barnabas and Paul going to the island of Crete, Barnabas being a native of Crete, and uh, really rocking the island, establishing churches all over the island, and uh, even being able to minister to uh, the governor himself, Sergius Paulus. But uh, really uh, interesting that uh, Paul's instructions to Titus go something along this line. For this reason, I left you in Crete, and this is verse 5 of Titus chapter 1, that you should appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. A man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he's been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now, there's a couple of things that we discover here. First of all, should there be a plurality of leadership in the church? If your question, Eli, is should the church be a uh, one-man band where one individual is the leader, one individual does all the work of ministry, I would say, uh, first of all, this passage says that there should be many leaders uh, in the church. In fact, uh, we are even given uh, the nuts and bolts of how to raise up leaders within the church. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, 
Paul writing to Timothy, who was working at the church in Ephesus at that time, said, "In the things um, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we, we see this idea, this imperative, that there should always be, in a sense, a relay race of faith going on. Timothy is exhorted to be strong in grace. He is then told to take the truths that he received, not just verbally, but by example, from the Apostle Paul, commit these to faithful men, which I think is what we're talking about here, the elders or the bishops being described here, who will then be able to teach others also. So, you know, this has been called a uh, four-generation vision uh, of ministry. You have Paul, who received the gospel from Jesus, committing to Timothy, the second generation, who commits to faithful men, will be able to teach others also. You know, the, the brilliance behind all of this, this ministry of multiplication that we see here, uh, is, uh, is really pretty stunning. Uh, there was a study that was done that determined that uh, if, say, Adrian, uh, you and I decided to get together and study God's Word uh, for a year together, and then after a year, you and I led just one other person to Christ and took a year to build into them the truth of God's Word so that they in turn could go out along with us and lead just one other person to Christ. If that progression continued, the entire world could be reached in 32 years. Mm. You know, we tend to look at ministry and evangelism as addition. Uh, God sees it more as multiplication. So what we're seeing here in uh, the book of Titus is this. The main message of Titus is being committed to this man, Titus, who uh, was uh, described as a true son in our common faith. Paul had a lot of a relationship with him. And in a sense, he was the bishop, if you will, the overseer of the island of Crete. He was to go to these various cities in Crete and establish within those cities individuals who could oversee the individualized flocks that were meeting there at that particular time. Notice the kind of people that were going to be these kind of overseers. I think it's fascinating that it's character, not competence, that is emphasized in this. Uh, mm. Christ-like character, why? Because you can teach competence, but you can't teach character. Mm. You've either got it or you don't. God is either doing that work within you or he's not. The only uh, core competence that we see in this is that the leader is to hold fast the faithful word as he's been taught, that he may be uh, able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. In other words, uh, there are going to be savage wolves that are going to come in, and an individual is going to be this kind of overseer, uh, this elder, if you will, has to be a person who is so schooled in the word of God that when, say, false doctrine tries to weasel its way into the church or someone comes and starts proclaiming uh, another message or even an individual who is at one point in good standing starts to factionalize and try to build a personality cult around them, they'll be able to deal with these kind of problems as they come up. So what is the structure that we see here? Uh, there are those, and you know, when I went to Talbot Seminary, I took most of my classes at John MacArthur's church, uh, served in an offshoot of John MacArthur's church in Agora Hills. And boy, they were all over the idea of elder rule, uh, that you had to have an elder board 
and that the senior pastor was to be under the authority of that particular elder board or just be seen as one of many uh, elders. That was really the MacArthur uh, model there, that, uh, that no one uh, would be above one another, the senior pastor would be over the elders, or the elders would be over the senior pastor. There was that, that commonality, that, that same level of responsibility they would have there. Other churches I've been at, uh, the Board of Elders rules. Uh, in other words, the senior pastor is underneath the Board of Elders, and the Board of Elders exists to kind of keep the senior pastor in line. Well, which one is the most godly one? You know, obviously, there's congregationally ruled churches. I, I think you have the toughest time making a case for churches to be ruled congregationally say, by a majority vote. You could look at, you know, say, for instance, Acts chapter 6, where, you know, again, the deacons, the first deacons that were put forward, were put forward uh, by the the people that were there in uh, the church of Jerusalem at that time. But they only became deacons when the apostles laid their hands on them and conferred that uh, responsibility and authority to them. So the idea of, of uh, congregational rule, really don't see it mm-hmm. in the Word of God. In fact, there's a really good case to be made that whenever the people's will prevailed, like uh, give us a king, like all the other nations have, didn't work out so well. So, you know, the, the interesting thing in Calvary Chapel circles is the, the model that we follow is called uh, the, uh, the Moses model, for lack of a better term that Moses was the one that was given the responsibility by God to teach and exercise authority ultimately over God's people. Now, you may remember in Exodus chapter 18 that Moses' father-in-law, a man by the name of Jethro, not the guy from the Beverly Hillbillies, a smarter <laughs> guy than that, uh, told uh, Moses, because there were people lined up around the block to get Moses to figure out their problems and apply God's truth to their circumstances, what you're doing is not good. You know, you're going to wear yourself out, uh, and these people are going to be uh, without leadership. So here's what you do. You know, find other godly men. You can put over hundreds, over thousands, and so forth, and uh, people can come to them. And if uh, these individuals can't solve the problem or are uh, scratching their head for God's wisdom, then you can be the final one that then answers all of these things. You can spend your time, you know, seeking the Lord, praying for the people, you know, laboring in God's Word. So, you know, in a sense, that's the model uh, for Calvary chapels. They are pastorally led in the sense that we believe that God will raise up a pastor who has a vision for ministering in a particular place, in a particular area. But having said that, uh, along with a pastorally led church, the kind of buck stops here guy, if you will, uh, that pastor should always have, kind of like Moses did, individuals that pass these character quality tests we find in Titus and in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that can come alongside and also provide ministry uh, to the church. Uh, The way uh, that we do things here is, um, you know, as the senior pastor, um, you know, I occupy that particular role. It's my uh, job to uh, teach, to pray, to teach uh, God's Word, pray, and to love the people. Uh, the board of elders that we have here is a working board 
Uh, oftentimes, boards in churches represent boards of directors in the secular world, in that if a person is a successful doctor, lawyer, or Indian chief, you name them to the board. Uh, one guy told me he always looked for people that had time, talent, or treasure to be on their board. Mm. Well, I don't see time, talent, or treasure listed in any of those character qualities in Timothy and Titus. It's a very secular way to approach it. Mm. So the best way to have, make sure that these character qualities are in the hearts of those who are serving in the elder board is to have as your elders individuals that God has raised up through fruitful ministry in the church. You know, not because they're pursuing a position, not because they want a label, but because uh, they've been found faithful, uh, just doing what the Lord has called them to do. And pretty soon we recognize these people. Uh, they have an oversight of a particular area. And so we allow our elders to be the ones that serve in oversight of these areas. We have a once a month meeting where we get together, we talk about what's going on in the church uh, more than once a month if big decisions are coming up. And, uh, and we pray and we seek God's wisdom uh, about the various uh, things that are going on. Now, what happens uh, if, uh, say, uh, the senior pastor, and this is the question that always comes up, spits the bit, you know, starts to do something that is ungodly. Well, in our model, uh, we believe in the fact that God's spirit, uh, when we make major decisions, uh, doesn't just lead me, you know, chances are I'll be the one who takes the initiative as far as areas of ministry and, and uh, ways we want to impact the community and, and needs within the body. But we believe that if the Lord is leading, that there's gonna be a unanimity among the board of elders that we're all going to be on that same page. And so if there isn't that unanimity there, uh, we you know, will pray about things and talk about things and work through things with the scriptures as the final arbiter and decider. People say, oh, you know, if you go for that uh, pastor-led model, you know, uh, how in the world you know, are you going to keep, uh, you know, a person letting that power go to your, their head? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, I tell people, uh, I'm under the same authority they're under. We are all under the authority of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He communicates his will to the, to the church through the word of God. I'm under God's word. You're under God's word. Every believer in Christ is under the authority of God's word. So if I, as a senior pastor, uh, you know, say, you know, I really believe the Lord is leading me to take the offering down to the Desert Diamond Casino and, and, and you know, God will sovereignly bless us. Uh, there could be some objections to that particular strategy. And what we would do is we would search the scriptures and we would talk about uh, the idea of getting rich quick, uh, the idea of greed, the idea of uh, godliness with contentment being great gain. And we'd probably say, no, that's, that's not the kind of leading. If you've got a senior pastor that consistently comes up with these wild-haired ideas that don't line up under the word of God, chances are you need a new senior pastor. So, you know, what I tell people is we're all under the same authority. If someone comes to me and says, well, you know, I, I've, got a, I've got a problem with what's going on here at the church. One of the first things I will say, if I hear them out, is, okay, scripturally, uh, what do you think the answer to this problem is? And they'll often look at me blankly, like, well, you know, you're supposed to figure that out. Well, God's laid this on your heart. You need to search the scriptures because we want to do things as biblically as we possibly can. That way we can be sure that we are under the authority of Jesus Christ. 
So, you know, we have, you know, again, the, the model essentially is, is that we are senior pastor led. The board of elders comes alongside to provide wisdom and checks and balances as far as major decisions uh, that we're going to be uh, to make. But the senior pastor is not under the board of elders. And I think that's crucial because, you know, in John chapter 10, Jesus warned about a hireling mentality that can creep into God's people. They're not shepherds, they're hirelings, and hirelings will run when they see the wolf coming. If an individual is controlled by other people and is, in a sense, an employee that serves at the goodwill, if you will, of a board like this, chances are they're not going to have the, the freedom to be able to focus in on the Lord. Things will get political and get political very, very quickly. It's just, it's human nature. So you have that. The other thing that we have, and this is another safeguard because this is usually the place where uh, leadership and leadership structures get tested, is we have a financial board as well. Uh, our elder board used to have those kind of responsibilities, but we found that uh, by going over, say, profit and loss statements and things like this, budget, uh, it would take up most of our time of, of gathering together. So we'd never really get around to praying or talking about the actual needs of the body. So what we created was a financial board that is made up of individuals that have expertise, uh, not only in managing churches, again, they, they pass those character qualities that we, have, we see uh, listed under Timothy and Titus, but uh, they're also, in a sense, a step removed so that they can be objective. You know, our financial board, for instance, uh, one of our members is, uh, you know, a uh, right-hand man in a very large church. Another is uh, a uh, very well-respected architect in town, another is CPA. Uh, and when we get together and we, you know, again, we go over our finances on a monthly basis, when we get together and we talk about dicey issues, you know, for instance, like salaries and who determines that, they determine that. You know, I'll give my two cents worth about, uh, you know, how I feel about, you know, the paid staff and, and how they've been doing and, you know, who would deserve a salary, uh, an increase and, and so on. But when it comes to my salary, I have zero input on that, none. And that is a great safeguard for me uh, because, uh, you know, once again, uh, one of the key character qualities you have is to be beyond reproach. Not that people won't criticize you, but the criticisms won't stick. So, you know, when, when you have this kind of structure in place and you have people constantly being discipled and raised up and, and put into uh, positions like the first deacons were, you know, they, they were basically, you know, waiting on tables, if you will. But if you wait on tables and you do it in the spirit of God, God's going to start using you. Pretty soon, individuals started distinguishing themselves like Stephen or Philip, or other people like that. They came out of that particular leadership class, if you will. So we always try to be about the business of uh, looking around for uh, who's, you know, individuals that God has their hand on. Uh, one of our, uh, our policies is uh, when people come to us from a new church, oftentimes they'll be hot to trot because they were in a position in another church, come over here. What we tell them is, you know, we want you just to uh, stay here and enjoy the fellowship for at least six months before you think about doing anything. Mm -hmm. 
you know, make sure that you're here just because you're ministered to by the Lord. I know that some of you are your beavers and you're wanting to, you know, jump in and get involved. But oftentimes people will be coming out of negative church experiences, mm. you know, or places where they felt like they were kind of road hard and put away wet as far as, uh, as their involvement in the church. And so we tell them, you know, just go slow, make sure that this is really where God has you, that you really sense that you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus here, that your family, you know, is ministered to here and so on. That you're going to put down roots here. And then you know, after six months, let's talk again. And we always start them slow. People will sometimes want to say, well, how do I get to be an elder? Um, well, serve faithfully and sooner or later, we'll probably recognize you as one that needs to be in that role. So, uh, you know, this is in essence, uh, you know, the, the debate that goes on. Should there be a plurality of elders? You know, the word elder there, as is implied, refers to somebody who's more mature in the faith. But notice even that passage in Titus, there's an elder that talks about the fact that they have served and proven themselves worthy over time. You know, trust is the emotional response we have to proven character over time. Mm. But they're also called bishops. The word is episcopus. It literally means to oversee someone. Isn't that why the Episcopalians use that term yeah. for their denomination? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, if you're an elder, you're also a bishop. If you're a bishop, you should also be an elder. The elder refers to spiritual maturity. The bishop refers to those who oversee the flock and uh, boy. So one's more of like a, a status and the other's more of a, like an active role. Yeah, yeah, you know, character and your contribution if you wanna use those terms. You know, and I love what uh, Simon Peter said about this and this is kind of how the whole thing works. Uh, he says in First Peter chapter five, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Now notice the elders are to serve as overseers. An overseer is what you do, an elder is who you are. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and notice what he says, uh, serving uh, as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that doesn't fade away. I, I love this because here, if there was ever a guy who could have pulled rank and said, you know, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle. <laughs> and you know, Jesus gave me my name and you know, you really ought to, you know, I, I'm the guy I got revelations from God. I preached at Pentecost and, you know, so on and so on. Um, you know, I raised, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, Tabitha from the dead. I think I got some serious cred here. But he doesn't do that. He just refers to himself as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. He goes, man, I love Jesus. Jesus saved me. He changed my life. He's used me in certain circumstances. I think my judgment can be trusted, but there's no lording it over, if you will. Uh, you know, there's some uh, really dangerous places people get into when they get into the, how dare you question me? Mm. Or don't you know who I am? Or, you know, have you gone to seminary? Or, you know, these sort of things that say, I'm up here and you're down there. A guy like Simon Peter says, we're here. You know, we're all here to serve the true and living God. Jesus is up here. We're here. We have different jobs to do. 
obviously. Mm. The senior pastor needs to be that point person accountable to Christ through his word, supported by the ministry of elders underneath him, not over him. Uh, you know, all uh, positions that, and decisions that happen in the church shouldn't have to pass a majority vote. But also we need to see those elders distinguish themselves like Timothy did. Always been about the business of discipling and raising up others. We tell people around here, one of the best things you can do is work yourself out of a job. Hmm. So then you can be free to pursue other areas of ministry. How do you respond when people who don't understand, uh, don't really know what Scripture teaches about leadership, and they say, oh yeah, that's uh, Scott's church. <laughs> I, I, I think it's funny when people say things like that, but how does... How does you being in that role of senior well, pastor I kind of get it in that it's the church where I am at, and I have a visible role, and if that's what they mean, then, then that's fine. But I tend to respond to it in the same way when, as I do when people say, well, how many people you saved in your ministry? I go, none. <laughs> and they go, no one's ever come to Christ in your ministry? No, plenty of people have, but it's only God's word shared through the power of the Holy Spirit that saves them. You know, I'm just a vessel, a vehicle, just like anybody else. So, you know, you know, when people say, oh, that's X and such as church, um, you know, maybe it's kind of a high sign. You know, it's human nature and, it, you know, we all tend to want to have our spiritual heroes and such. But it should always be a high sign, I think, uh, to pastors. It certainly is to me when people say that, uh, that, uh, that maybe things are a little out of whack. Uh, maybe we really need to emphasize who the head of the church really is and that the body needs some teaching and uh, maybe even a gentle correction mm. along that line. Mm. Because, uh, you know, we're not here to preach ourselves, as Paul said, but Christ Jesus and him crucified. Who's Paul and who's Apollos? But uh, people whom you heard the word and believed. So I think if we have that kind of attitude, we'll be all right. Mm. Good. Good insight. And. Don't you think there's a little bit of flexibility as well? I mean, the elder-led model, there are variations. Like you said, Calvary tend, uh, uses the Moses way. Others might uh, Yeah, the a MacArthur thing is more the, the uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the one among... You know, it's really interesting, though. Uh, even in the... Uh, you know, John MacArthur's church does a conference called Shepherdology where they talk about their mm -hmm. philosophy of uh, church government and all that. And they're very, very strong on this sort of thing. No, 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 the pastor is just one elder among many. But, uh, you know, a friend of mine had the opportunity to attend one of the elders meetings at uh, Grace Community Church. And I don't know if this is normative, but uh, it seemed like it. Uh, you know, they had a bunch of elders, church that size, and an issue would come up and they'd debate and they'd talk and all this stuff. And John MacArthur's sitting there and he's kind of cleaning his glasses and looking at his Bible. And finally, after about a, you know, 30, 45 minute discussion, someone says, well, John, what do you think? And MacArthur says, well, I think this and this and this. And they go, all in favor. <laughs> so, you know, to, to say that a senior pastor, uh, the one that is responsible for sharing the Word of God, um, is no different than any other. They have a different role to play, and uh, they, they need to take that very, very seriously. Mm. Uh, you know, the, it's not that, that you ignore uh, the support and counsel and insight of your elders. As I said, we strive for unanimity in major decisions in our church. Uh, we make financial decisions uh, with that buffer of having people who are not personally vested in uh, the financial matters of the church making these decisions and being able to, to have that kind of objectivity. 
But, uh, you know, the, the thing that I've, I've become convinced is this. You know, it's not so much the, uh, the, the method, if you will, as it is the spirit you bring to it. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I've seen people, you know, get really uh, geeked out about the idea of uh, doing uh, house churches. And boy, that's what the old, the, the New Testament did. And we should just do house churches. You know, we shouldn't have, you know, one big gathering. Or if we do, it's only once a month. And we're gonna do these house churches, man. And that's gonna be, you know, um, great. You know, that's, that's awesome. It's not unbiblical, you know. But the thing that you're gonna find is, is that that model's only going to work uh, as well as the, the hearts of the individual leaders of those house mm. churches are gonna be uh, hitting on all cylinders in their walk with God. Um, you know, there are some people who say, well, you know, we, we believe in that board of directors kind of a, a model there. Can that work? Well, sure. If everybody on your board of directors is an on fire, uh, spirit led, uh, under the authority of God's word individuals. Sure. Mm. Sure. Can the, can the, uh, the idea of the Moses model work? Well, absolutely. But it won't work unless the spirit of the living God is working through mm. everybody involved. Now, if Titus was the head of the churches in Crete, how, is that why some denominations have regional leadership? Yeah, like yeah, they they take their cues from that. I because I was a uh, part of the Church of the Nazarene for many years, and we had like a district. They broke up the country into districts, right? Uh, each state, and then each state had its districts, and we would have a district superintendent, sort of like the pastor over all the pastors. Yeah, you know, there's uh, there is by necessity uh, a, a need for that sort of thing. Uh, when I was on staff at uh, Calvary Costa Mesa, a good friend of mine, Odin Fong, the lead singer of Mustard Seed Faith, uh, ran what we call the Calvary Chapel Outreach Fellowship Office. And, you know, again, Calvary Chapel started a little country church on the edge of town, 17 people, half of them were Chuck's family. And then the Jesus movement happened, and suddenly you've got this explosion going on, and, and all of these uh, people being saved and growing and feeling a desire to go out and start churches, and that's what they really encouraged them to do. So suddenly you've got Calvary chapels that are springing up all over the country. Well, you know, how do you uh, minister to those people? How is there accountability with these people? And there have been issues that have come up in Calvaries where, you know, say for instance in the Midwest a few years ago, there were some people who really became enamored of five-point Calvinism, and they wanted to be Calvary Chapel Reformed churches. Well, we're not Calvinists, and Chuck has been very clear about our our point of view on all of that. Uh, you know, we uh, believe in Calvinism and Arminianism in terms of we agree with what they affirm, but we disagree in what they deny. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, you know, the solution to that, and if you guys wanna talk about Calvinism, we certainly can, uh, but uh, the, the solution uh, to that was just to say, well, look, we are not a denomination. We are an independent fellowship of churches. It, it's a voluntary association. But that voluntary association has to be based on fellowship. What is fellowship? It's having things in common. Amos 3.3, 3, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? So, you know, if in a sense uh, you identify with this movement of God that started uh, in the 60s at Costa Mesa, uh, you identify with uh, the teaching ministry of uh, Chuck Smith. Uh, you identify, say, uh, with some of the, uh, the teachings that have gone out, like Calvary Distinctives and so forth. What makes Calvary Chapel distinct from other 
you know, equally valid, but different moves of God. Um, you know, you really kind of have to say, yeah, I believe and in, in agreement and in fellowship with what Calvary Chapel teaches. It's not just, uh, boy, if I put that dove up there on the wall, people are going to come to my church because, you know, that Jesus Revolution movie and that dove was there. People are going to, you know, and some people have, have tried to do that. But when you say want to be Calvary Chapel Reformed, you know, it, it's not like you're kicked out. Uh, but, you know, we just basically said it's very clear that God's leading you in a different direction. You know, do us all a favor for clarity's sake. Call yourself something else. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so... Um, it's, it's interesting. There's an affiliation process that you go through if you want to become uh, a Calvary Chapel, and that includes, you know, again, reading uh, these various books that, that Pastor Chuck put out, uh, you know, signing the Calvary Chapel Statement of Faith, uh, saying, you know, yeah, we're going to, you know, be doing things along this, this Calvary model. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, you can go through this process. Uh, these sort of things developed, in a sense, uh, over time, because, uh, like, for instance, uh, you know, after Chuck passed away, I guess there's, there's two kind of different groups that oversee Calvary chapels now. One is the uh, Calvary Global Network. It's kind of based out of Costa Mesa. Brian Broderson, Chuck's son-in-law, uh, kind of oversees all of that. Yeah, and there's wonderful godly churches in there. And then there's the Calvary Association, Don McClure, who was you know, one of the first uh, young men that, that sent, was sent out by Chuck and started churches. And now he's an older guy, obviously. Uh, but uh, those are kind of more, uh, I guess, Calvary old school. You call them the Calvary OGs. They're over there <laughs> in the, the Calvary Association. You know, and uh, you know, there are those that will want to affiliate uh, through the Calvary Association, which kind of considers itself uh, you know, more back to the roots of what Calvary Chapel is all about. And then there's some who will say, well, you know, we kind of like the freedom uh, to be able to be cutting edge and contemporary like the original Calvary ministry was to the hippies. And so we're more comfortable over there with Global Network. Uh, you know, you, you identify with one of these groups and then in a sense you're accountable to them. You know, not in the sense that, you know, and, you know, as far as, uh, my direct accountability, you know, I was uh, ordained uh, and sent out by Chuck Smith himself through Costa Mesa. Uh, you know, that's kind of our connection, our authority, if you will, was that connection that I had uh, with Pastor Chuck. Uh, as far as uh, how things are operating in the United States now, um, you know, there's different, uh, I guess, uh, pastors with, with more prominent ministries uh, that uh, will be raised up over different areas like uh, Arizona if there's some uh, dust up that happens or something that needs to be arbitrated. Someone wants to affiliate, uh, oftentimes they will either go through the church they came out of and affiliate through them, or they'll go to Skip Heitzig out of uh, Calvary Albuquerque, which is a mega mongo, uh, awesome work of God there. And you know, again, Skip goes all the way back roots to the beginnings of Calvary Chapel and a very mm -hmm. trustworthy kind of a guy. So, you know, it, it you know, kind of depends who you want to be under, mm -hmm. in a sense. And these are kind of loose associations. I mean, you don't cease to be a church if you decide to go the Calvinist route and say, we want, they just say, okay, well, just don't associate with the movement anymore. Right. You can still be, a, I mean, we don't, they don't own the property. There's no connection. Right. They're their own 501c3. Yeah, people say, well, what makes you different than a denomination? 
Well, a denomination tends to have a national headquarters. And at that national headquarters, uh, they uh, essentially um, have all of their, uh, all the articles in corporation. You're just sort of a franchise, if you will. Uh, each Calvary Chapel is intended to be an independent uh, fellowship of believers. We have our own 501c3 uh, agreement with the government. We have our own bylaws. We have, uh, you know, again, uh, Costa Mesa doesn't own our property or, or pay our bills or anything along that line. Uh, there, there's great freedom in all that and freedom of association in all of that. But a denomination will control mm -hmm. all of those things. And, you know, you see how denominations will rise inevitably. You look back at their roots, they started out kind of like Calvary Chapel. I think the Methodist Church, uh, the, the Methodists under uh, the Wesleys uh, were kind of the campus crusade of, of their era. I mean, they were just evangelist, um, evangelism maniacs. And they called them Methodists because with their new converts, they were very methodical about how they discipled their new converts. They would take them through some very methodical uh, steps of growth and so forth. So, you know, these Methodists went out and they'd lead people to Christ and they'd start churches in all these uh, little towns all over the place, but uh, they would have their loyalty to the, the main church off, Southern Baptist Church, another great example mm -hmm. of that sort of thing. They have the convention. Yeah, they, they, yeah and they have their conventions and, and so on. But. But uh, you know, uh, you know, on our statement of faith, uh, there's a really interesting line. Uh, Calvary Chapel is not a denominational church, nor are we opposed to denominations as such. Only their overemphasis of certain doctrinal points that has led to disunity in the body of Christ. Mm. You know, people will say, "Well, if you Christians have the truth, why are there so many denominations out there?" And you know, to me, I think it's it's great that we do because there's all kinds of people you're gonna run into out there uh, that are really gonna lay great stress on some you know, non-essential area of scripture. The essentials, we gotta be in agreement or we're not Christians. Mm -hmm. But in non-essential areas, you know, maybe areas uh, about certain doctrines about the return of Christ, or uh, certain doctrines about the uh, particular manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or uh, a certain church government, and kind of a pattern that they have there. Uh, you know, they're going to lay great stress on these things. And, uh, you know, I think people that, you know, look at that and say, man, that particular area of doctrine really means the world to me. Uh, you should be with other people that share your passion for that sort of thing. Uh, and, and so uh, denominations, I don't think, are an indictment of the truth of the gospel. Rather, it's a reflection of the fact that people are passionate about the truth that we uh, see revealed in the Word of God. And, you know, rather than being in a church... Uh, for instance, like ours, where the worship tends to be contemporary and we tend to be non-structured, non-liturgical. Uh, if we insisted that everybody that likes high structure and liturgy come to our church, they'd really be frustrated. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, on the other side of the coin, it's great that there's churches out there that are more liturgical, more, more uh, uh, conventional, and so on, where these people can worship the Lord in peace. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the denominational thing. Uh, you know, when uh, people say, well... You know, I'd, I'd come to your church, but I'm not into organized religion. I'd say, well, come on down. We're hardly more organized at all. You'll fit right in. So uh, that's that's how that all breaks down. I coming. I've, I've always found it very pleasing to me, when, having come from 16 years of the Church of the Nazarene, know 
uh, disregard for how they handled it. It's it's a congregationally led model with bishops and overseers over the different districts and, and so on. And so if a pastor uh, steps down and retires, the district will provide a pastor temporarily until the congregation goes and starts their pastoral search and things right. like that. And uh, there's a tithe owed to the district and things like that. So each church, as they raise funds from their community, they give a percentage of that. And uh, there was always this weirdness to it. And when I saw how Calvary, originally I used to jokingly say, yeah, it's the non-denominational denomination because it has a distinctive. And I used to kind of um, roll my eyes at the the Nazarene's little black book. It was like, there's the Bible, and then there's the black book, the handbook. Right, which right. Is, sometimes it seemed like it was more important than the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You know, and I always thought it was so neat to see a little bit of grace and freedom and and an emphasis on the essentials and not getting so bogged down and divisive over the non-essentials. Yeah. And uh, I've always really appreciated about that. And that's why I've been here since, what, 2009, I think. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's a fine line to walk uh, because on the one side of the coin, we do have strong convictions about things. But uh, we don't want to overemphasize them to the place where, you know, say, oh, you believe in a mid-trib rapture? What a heathen, you know, oh my gosh, you're a heretic. You know, <laughs> I mean, well, you know, we take a very passionate position on a pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, you know, that's not one that, you know, we think anybody in leadership in our church uh, should uh, should bend on or compromise on. You know, once again, that kind of comes down to the Calvary distinctives. But on the other side of the coin, you know, if you're here uh, and you hold those point of view, that point of view, as long as you can do it non-divisively and understand what kind of teaching you're going to get here and you're comfortable with that, well, well then that's fine. Um, you know, it's... Uh, that's why I always sit in the back with my Bible just shaking my head the whole time. Yeah, exactly. I'm kidding. Exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't ever do that. <laughs> well, I don't think you'd be here very long if you did. But, you know, it's, it's just, it's a very... It's very interesting uh, how people will, you know, some people will be real sticklers about bylaws and, you know, the reading the fine print and so on. Um, you know, the, the thing that I just really love about being a part of Calvary Chapel is, you know, we're here to simply teach God's word simply. Mm -hmm. We're here to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're here to love one another because without that love, and this is another thing you'll see mm -hmm. printed on most Calvary bulletins, mm -hmm. without love, uh, you know, we have no right to really call ourselves Christians at all. Mm -hmm. So, you it's know, the, the making the main, the, the plain things, the main things, mm -hmm. if you will. And you it's know? a very organic approach to ministry, you know, identifying where God's working and then joining him rather than uh, like Bo likes to write up on the board, habits that force things to happen in, in the flesh. And I always also appreciate that about, that's sort of one of the the mindsets, the the hidden gems of the Calvary mindset that I've always appreciated. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, again, um, different churches are going to do things different ways. But, you know, if you're going to go off on a wild hair on some doctrine, you're going to go off on your own on some thing of church government, you're going to go off on your own uh, in some take about... Uh, you know, the end times, the last days, well, you know, Lord bless you, you know, find other people that agree with you and support you, but don't, you know, say, uh, you know, we are the uh, Calvary Chapel of the mid-trib, uh, you know, or, <laughs> right, or things yeah. like that, you know, just 
be honest about it. You know, uh, when I was on staff at Costa Mesa, one of my jobs uh, was to be available to people that uh, uh, wanted to uh, talk to Chuck uh, after services in case something was too elaborate. He could hand them off to us because there were usually about 200 people that wanted to talk to him at any given time. Uh, and uh, the, the fascinating thing was uh, in all the times that I was there available to pray with people that Chuck didn't have time for, uh, I, I think maybe twice that happened in, in my ex entire experience there. Wow. And it was just because someone's uh, issues were, were uh, really so overwhelming. But every once in a while, someone would want to pick a bone with Chuck about Calvary Chapel, and they were coming from a different place. And, and you know, they say, well, I don't like the way this is going on. I don't like this over here and all that. And Chuck would just patiently hear them out. And uh, he, he would look at them at the end and say, well, you know, God has called us to live at peace. Mm -hmm. And if you can't be at peace here, maybe it's because God is moving you to another place where you can be at peace. And they would look at him like he hit him with a stick. And they'd say, so you're kicking me out of the church? He's going, no, uh, but you know, you need to understand this is who we are and we're not going to change. And uh, wouldn't it be better for you and for everybody concerned for you to be around other people that, that share your yeah. passion? And some people just don't get that. You know, uh, there were, a, I remember when I was running the college and career group there was a uh, group that would come down from this, I guess it was a church or a, I'm, that was called The Cure. And uh, the they, band they, or? They, no, <laughs> yeah, they, they were hardcore five point Calvinists. I mean, mm -hmm. really extreme. And they would come to our college and career group. And while I was praying for people up front, they'd be in the back bagging on Calvary Chapel and trying to convince people to leave Calvary Chapel to come to The Cure uh, group because they alone were, were teaching uh, right doctrine, you know, and finally, you know, we just had to tell them, look, if you're not here to receive, if you're here just to recruit, um, don't you think that's a little fleshly? Uh, you know, if you're so right on and you believe in predestination, don't you think these people are going to be predestined to go to your group anyway? Yeah. And you why know? not spend all this en energy on the lost? Yeah. If you're recruiting anybody, go recruit the, the unsaved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, again, um, just keeping things simple and focused. Yeah. That's the tough part. If you're interested, uh, you can read the Calvary Chapel Distinctives uh, for free by downloading it onto Kindle, and it's on Amazon available there. So just do a search for Calvary Chapel Distinctives on Amazon, and you'll find uh, the Kindle version, and it is free. So you can just uh, check it out and read it. I'd encourage you to do it. I read it years and years ago and found it very uh, uh, enlightening and administered to me. So I'd encourage you to check that out. Uh, next question. <laughs> we spent a lot of time on that one. Yeah, well, you know, it's a yeah. big, it's kind of a big deal. To yeah. under, I mean, most people probably don't ask those kinds of questions when searching for a church, but for a church, but you ought to. <clears throat> Annie wanted to know. Um, today, I saw some videos by Living Waters for the first time. Before passing them along to friends, I wanted to know if you give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and why, please. Um, run that by me again. Living Waters, uh, Way of the Master, Ray Comfort. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. You know, um, I think uh, the Way of the Master uh, is uh, an awesome way to share your faith. But it is just that. It is a awesome way to share your faith. It is not the awesome way to share your faith. 
And, uh, you know, uh, the, the idea of, you know, asking, are you a good person? And then talking about the Ten Commandments and showing them through the Ten Commandments they're not a good person, so they understand their need for a Savior. Right on. Great approach. But it shouldn't be construed as a one-size-fits-all approach. Mm-hmm. We take a look at the book of Acts, especially in evangelistic settings. We see that there were always a wide variety of different approaches in terms of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Some of them included sharing Old Testament uh, passages. Uh, some did not. Uh, we need to be flexible and yielded as far as, as how we can do this. You know, For instance, I've been in situations where uh, sharing that pattern uh, from Ray Comfort, uh, from the way of the master, it's been incredibly effective, mm-hmm. you know, very, very effective. And, you know, I highly recommend it. There's been other times where, uh, you know, just going through, say, Steps to Peace with God from the Billy Graham organization uh, was really helpful because it helped somebody to really simply understand what the gospel was all about, step by step, the four spiritual laws, same kind of a thing. Um, you know, the, the, the problem that sometimes we run into, it's like the old saw that uh, when all you got in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, there true. are different people that are going to be reached in different ways. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul made that really apparent. He said to the Jews, I became as a Jew mm-hmm. uh, so that I might win Jews. Uh, you know, again, to the Gentiles, I became as those who was not under the law. Always under the law of love. Uh, the law of liberty, but I built bridges with Gentiles. Uh, he became all things to all men, so that by all means he might save some. So, um, you know, it just depends what the Lord's kind of called you to, you know, how you feel led. Uh, I think, uh, you know, again, the way of the master is a, is a great, uh, you know, methodology to do that. Uh, I think Ray Comfort is a, a wonderfully uh, committed man of God, uh, but not the only way be open and yielded to how the Lord might use you in different ways and different circumstances. Indeed. My uh, first, uh, well, I wouldn't say ministry uh, missions head, but uh, one of my hosts said, yeah, it's just uh, what I do as an illusionist, as an evangelist, is just a different net to catch a different kind of fish. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought that was funny the way he worded that. It was an Indian fellow from the country of India, so that kind of Indian fellow, but... uh, yeah, I, I found as an evangelist, I've gone through the the Kennedy course, the D. James Kennedy yeah, course evangelism on evangelism. Explosion and, yeah, Explosion. Yeah. I did the Billy Graham School of Evangelism in Toronto, and I've gone through. I remember Ray Comfort, the first time I ever heard him was years ago, and he, he had a little cassette that he was selling that uh, was called Hell's Best Kept Secret. That was yeah. before they came up with yeah. the Way of the Master, and, yeah. and it revolutionized my thinking in some areas with certain people, and I was able to apply those when needed. Other times I have employed a different approach. It really depended on the person I was ministering yeah. to. Yeah, we just need, to, just need to be flexible. Interesting uh, question here uh, on Facebook from R.A. Torrey. I don't think it's the actual R.A. Torrey. I don't think he's, he's with us. He's gone to his reward. Uh, but it's a question that comes up a lot. Where in the Bible does God change his Sabbath day from the seventh to the first day of the week? Well, God doesn't change the Sabbath day from the uh, seventh day to the first day of the week. The Sabbath is the Sabbath. Uh, if you are under the law of Moses, uh, then that would have to be when you would celebrate it, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Now, as far as when the early church met, 
to have their get-togethers, to have their gatherings. Uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 says, Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. In other words, the first day of the week was when the disciples met. Why? Because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so the disciples would come together to break bread. That isn't just the idea of having fellowship with one another. That was celebrating communion. So, uh, you know, again, uh, God never changes the day of the Sabbath, but, uh, you know, keeping one day over another, uh, one man regards one day above another, another man regards every day alike. Let each be convinced in his own mind. If you look down on others because of your Sabbath keeping, then be really careful. You might be uh, dipping your toes into the the uh, awful muck of legalism, and that doesn't get us really anywhere. So if you want to worship God in a special way from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, knock yourself out. Doesn't make you more righteous if you do, less righteous if you don't. Mm. This is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Nothing was changed. They just decided to meet on the first day of the work week, no. which happened to be the day that Jesus rose from the dead. No, no, yeah. You know, and again, if you're on the Mosaic Covenant, the old, the old covenant, not the new covenant, well then, of course, you mm. got to keep that Sabbath. Now, uh, did Jews gather on the Sabbath and meet and have a meeting during the Sabbath? Yes, was, yes, okay. absolutely. You know, in fact, that was where Paul would go and preach he, the synagogue services on the Sabbath. Gotcha. So I was curious because I thought, well, maybe the rabbis uh, preaching is work and you shouldn't work on the Sabbath or something like that. No, I think they had a way around that, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like a lot of legalists. So. Anyway. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you uh, enjoyed the program. We'll be here again tomorrow. Same place, same time. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.